Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Avedisian, the Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Hello everyone, I'm Ani, Mad Shaman Avedisian. Welcome to the Christmas edition of Metaphysical Martini, Christmas 2021. And oh my God, what a year it's been. Oh, what is Metaphysical Martini? Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back. Sip slowly and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation while jingling your little bells and tickling your holy holly. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, da, 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 what's woo, oh, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's can the establishment lies get any more fantastical are people finally seeing through the demonic coercion canticle why isn't fauci hanging from a short rope trusting the media is such a slippery slope common sense is dangerously diluted the minds of the masses are corrupted and polluted. WTF is going on. Confused, outraged, more false flags will be staged. Surreal, crazy, absolutely effed up little world. As always, my darlings, we try to do this with as much cheesecake and compassion as can be mustered on any given day. And these days, that's quite an achievement. Have you ever been the only sober person in a room full of drunkards? Well, that's how the world appears to the awakened. And by that I mean the ones who understand who runs the world, how and why. If you're joining me for the first time, a very warm welcome to you. If you're looking for comfortable lies, this is not the show for you. If, however... You are a free thinker and you value sovereignty. Welcome to the party. We are happy to have you along and hope that you join our merry tribe of martini heads, a growing community of souls having temporary individualized manifestations as humans dedicated to destroying the evil that spews forth from the dark establishment. And we are committed to restoring America to her sacred purpose. And she does have a sacred purpose. It's not all about strip malls and 7-Elevens and blue jeans. Now, my darlings, before we go any further, let me take this opportunity to wish you all a blessed solstice, a merry, merry Christmas, and whatever and however you celebrate, blessings of the season to you all. May 2022 overwhelm us with avalanches of abundance in all good things. And above all, 
Let us pray to heal our fear-based thinking, because all of this BS we are experiencing is due to our misalignment with whatever we choose to call supreme cosmic intelligence. And lo, my brethren, it came to pass yet again that the people of Earth fell for the oldest trick in the book. And lo, it came to pass that all who knew were royally embarrassed by it. People, millions of people are committing slow suicide. Families have broken up. People have lost their livelihoods. Australia's back to being a prison camp. New Zealand, too. Austrians, Germans, Canadians are watching their countries turn into prison camps. Americans are being threatened with new outlandish restrictions daily. But it's not going to work because we are armed and we will never give up our right to bear arms. And we will not hesitate to wrap them in tinsel and use them against those who wish to destroy the sovereignty of the individual, which is what America stands for. Now, in terms of expansion of consciousness, any social body is a worthless unit unless it is comprised of sole sovereign individuals centered in spirit with moral compasses intact. Everything else is simply enslavement. And why can't people understand this very basic, very fundamental principle? I mean, what are you doing, sitting at home, rubbing your bellies and feeding your pet pineapples Twinkies? Because if you are, you're well poised to be very happy in the planned New World Order meta-matrix of compounded illusion. Good luck to you, because the rest of us, we will not bend the knee to evil just to stay in the illusion to get a bit of food, to get a bit of drink, to go to a movie? No, we won't. Instead, we will break the knees of those who wish to enslave us, and they can crawl around like the belly crawlers they are, and they can watch us build our new world as we usher in the new golden age. And for all I care, they can do that from their Gitmo cage. We are moving on. The dark establishment people, oh, the overlords of the medical chemical industrial complex, they are openly stating they want us to have a miserable Christmas season. Really? You know what? Let's make this the happiest Christmas season ever. Verily, my brethren, I say unto thee, let us bust our guts with merriment. <sighs> Let us wassail through wind and snow and hail. No ands, ifs, or buts. Let's kick these misguided, self-righteous bastards in the nuts and send them back to the hell from which they came. It makes me so happy to say words like that. In fact, oh my God, it's happening. I feel a little song coming on. Mm. Yes, indeed. The merriment, it's percolating within my being like a pot of French roast coffee on a Sunday morning. Here it comes, here it comes. I'm feeling it. No guarantees for mastery or musical accuracy. But if you know the tune to Good King Wenceslas, you can sing along. Let's see if I can pull this off halfway through my cocktail. Me, 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 me. Looking at the world today, 
It seems we're short on reason. I've made a list of things I want. It's all arrests for treason. Round them up and hang them high, for they have been most cruel. Or lock them in a very dark room and feed them vaccinated gruel. It seems the devil had his way, the people's minds he conquered. With fear and lies and clever tricks, intelligence was squandered. How shall we find our way back from this dark deception and kick the demons in the sack for altering perception? Hearken, friends, and listen well. Let hearts and minds be open. Reclaim your lives from Satan's hell and let the truth be spoken. Stand up straight, embrace the light, our spirits should be gleaming. Shame on those who cower in fright, when God's love is ever beaming. Oh, well, that wasn't too bad, was it? Yes. Oh, one of my favorite uh, carols, actually, which I just ruined for a whole bunch of Christmas lovers. No apologies, though. When the mood takes me, I must sing. It's just the way it is. Ho, ho, ho. All right. Let's move on to quack questions, answers, and comments. Because that's why we started the show in the first place, to know what's going on in your minds. I mean, people are afraid to talk about things these days. But we want you to share, share. And if you would like to share the contents of your fabulous minds, on this beacon of libertarian spirituality known as Metaphysical Martini, email me, Arnie at ArnieAvidician.com or snail mail me at Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon 97070, U.S. of A. And please, darlings, let me know if and how you wish to be identified or I will refer to you as omit personal details or megawattisakanaputra, whatever the mood takes me. All right, let's shake up this fishbowl of perpetual perplexity, and let's see what troubles the minds of you, the people, on this most blessed, holy Christmas week. Shaky, shaky. Oh, I hope we get holiday-themed questions today. I didn't have time to sort through my metaphysical martini emails in great detail so i just printed everything out and threw it in the fishbowl all right let's just pick something go for it Arnie. right first question comes from artie a-r-t-y who lives in queens new york and artie asks dear Arnie, i retire this year and wish to follow a spiritual path without committing to any one religion or philosophy or organization. I want to adopt a do-it-yourself approach. A friend suggested I start the course in miracles. Is this a good idea? I am Jewish. I, <laughs> um, oy. I took a quick look and it takes a whole year and it is verbose. And some of the concepts do not make any sense. Do you think this would be good for me, or do you have any other suggestions? Artie from Queens, New York, who is Jewish, 
Um, I have no idea who you are, and so I can't comment on what will be good for you. But since you asked, any spiritual path, any organized spiritual path, do it yourself or otherwise, takes at least a year to learn and to process and to absorb. And that's before you're fully able to put into practice what you're learning. Now, Course in Miracles is a good course. And yes, I can understand why some say it's long-winded. But trust me, it's nowhere near as long-winded as the apprenticeships of old. So my suggestion, I think, what is it today, December 22? My suggestion is you start reading the opening chapters now and then start the 365 lessons on January the 1st. There's no need to start them on January the 1st, but why not? What a wonderful New Year's resolution. Now, a bit of advice for you, Artie. Don't sweat it. But you're Jewish, so you probably will. But try not to sweat it, because there are no instant enlightenment obligation clauses in The Course in Miracles. And I have to say, as deep and as profound as the curriculum is, the content, in my humble opinion, is trimmed down to the bare bone, and that's quite an achievement. I would say if you want to understand the difference between freedom and imprisonment from a higher vantage point, and if you want to live your life in a state of divine alignment and perfect peace, no matter what the world around you presents, and if you want to do it at your own pace with minimal cost, which in this case is the cost of one book and your time, Course in Miracles is an excellent place to start. Now, don't be discouraged if the principles are difficult to grasp at first, because the world we live in today is a psychotic illusion and very far from the world we wish to create when we embody the peace that surpasses all understanding. It will be unsettling as you peel away the multiple templates of false illusion, and it will leave an emptiness within you when you realize that everything we have built collectively is built on fear, selfishness, with no true spiritual vision. And that emptiness, it will gnaw at you for a while until you realize that the hunger can only be satiated by filling yourself with the purity of cosmic division, uh, cosmic, cosmic vision, not division, cosmic vision and divine purpose. So I say, go for it. And if you need guidance along the way, there's a course in miracle support groups all over the country. There's got to be one in your area. And if not, if you really get stuck, give me a call and I'll help you smooth out the bumps. I've done the course probably, I did it a while ago. I did it like seven years in a row. It's really great, especially for, you know, do it yourself. Um, as the course points out, a sense of separation from God is the only lack you need to correct. Because there can be no fear when one understands one's true nature. That's one of the golden keys. You either believe you're a manifestation of divine energy or you don't. And if you choose to live your life as a manifestation of divine energy, you will have a rewarding and fulfilling life, honoring your soul's evolution. Um, and you'll be contributing also to the betterment of mankind. But if you choose to live your life merely as a human, 
with your divinity floating up there somewhere as a vague notion with no practical application on a physical realm, you will live a half-life and you will succumb to the pointless merry-go-round of frustration, anger, disappointment, failure, rinse and repeat. As for some of the concepts not making sense, well, Artie, of course, it won't make sense to you as it's all new. I assure you, though, the lessons build on each other. And if you don't rush ahead, if you focus on one lesson per day, somewhere along the line, the bell will ring and the gears will click in place and you will be a better and happier person for it. You know, you can follow a lot of different spiritual paths. Um, verbose though you think it is, I really feel the Course in Miracles opens up ancient issues in our human DNA, RNA. Um, it's a really good course. Give it a shot. Okay, drop me a line too. Let me know how it goes for you. And I thank you for your question, Artie in Queens, New York. And I wish you and yours a blessed holiday season. And here's praying that you and yours liberate New York from the current tyranny and insanity. Apparently, you're allowed to loot, but you're not allowed to order bread in a store without a vaccine passport. Heil Hitler, everyone. All right, let's take another question. <clears throat> let's take a look in here. All right, this one is from Fran in San Diego, who asks, if I know anything about the history of eggnog. And Fran wants to know how I prepare it. And do I add a drop of the hard stuff to it? Fran, darling, what a silly question. Of course I add several drops of the hard stuff to it. All right. Um, the history of eggnog, the history of eggnog, how I prepare it. All right. Um, as usual, no one really knows, but food anthropology is a bit of a hobby of mine. I think we can go back to the late 1100s, the early 1200s, and we begin to read about monks in <clears throat> Britain uh, drinking something called a posset, P-O-S-S-E-T. Um, in fact, posset comes up quite a lot. It's basically a warm, comforting drink. Now, in the beginning... It was a warm ale, warm beer, um, and they curdled eggs into it and whatever fruit they had, usually fresh figs or, you know, um, and if they had spices, which were very expensive in those days, they would do that. So it was an alcoholic drink with eggs and fruit and spices that after a cold, you know, a hard day of monking, you would come by the fire and drink this. Over time... Uh, they probably added milk um, and probably changed the ale into wine um, and made it more of a punch so that it could be served for larger gatherings. Now, these days we think of it as based in, based in milk and eggs and sugar and cream rather than the main ingredient being alcoholic um, and curdled with eggs. Because quite frankly, the original version does not sound very good to me. So this posset, um, the warm, comforting beverage, it went through changes over the years. Uh, and, you know, whatever ingredients were available and affordable. So 
we went from the monk's version of ale and wine curdled with eggs into a rich creamy drink with spices um, and the alcohol started to be taken out of it probably because alcohol was you know good alcohol was expensive then we don't read too much about it but at some point in the late 1600s it came to resemble the eggnog that we know today you know milk eggs cream but at that time they added sherry to it lots of sherry and again it would have been for the well-to-do segments of society because we think we understand poverty now but back in the day woo, if you had no money you had nothing um then we research eggnog in the early american colonies and so the, by the time it made it over here, we read that European booze, European, you know, liquor was too expensive to add to the nog. But we had trade from the Caribbean and they had rum and rum was a lot cheaper. And in my humble opinion, rum better complements the creaminess of an eggnog. And then as America, you know, went on to be America and did its own thing, the southern states God bless them, started making whiskey and bourbon. Uh, and so you would find that in the southern states, they put whiskey in the eggnog. Everywhere else, they put rum. So remembering, I think, that back in the day before central heating, eggnog was served warm or hot. And that's why it was popular over the winter season. And that's why it was associated with Christmas. Because I thought, think of any other good reason why eggnog in any of its forms would be associated with Christmas. Now, when did eggnog become cold and popular and available at Safeway? Um, we don't really have any reference to eggnog being served cold until the 1880s, when bartending guides, the Bible of all good people, um, were first published. But the cold eggnog that we know now, the non-alcoholic and pre-packaged cold eggnog, of course, that didn't take off until the 1960s. Now, you can use a variety of liquor in eggnog. I would stay away from vodka and gin because that would be revolting. Um, but most others work well, and it depends on how sweet and how boozy you want it. And, you know, many cultures have their own version of eggnog using their local ingredients in the same way as just about every culture has its own version of Swedish meatballs and some sort of fried sugar dusted bread. One of the things you will find when you research America and eggnog is what was supposed to be George Washington's eggnog recipe. Um, it was widely circulated with the claim that it was penned by Washington in his own hand but historians dispute that. Um, here's the recipe. Try not to get drunk just by reading it. Um, one quart cream, one quart milk, one dozen tablespoons of sugar, one and a half pints brandy, half a pint rye whiskey, half a pint Jamaica rum, quarter of a pint sherry or more if desired. Mix liquor first. Then separate yolks and whites of 12 eggs, add sugar to beaten yolks, mix well, add milk and cream slowly beating, beat whites of eggs until stiff and fold slowly into mixture. Let set in cool place for several days, taste frequently. 
Um, I imagine that combo will knock you on your ass. Um, and that's an awful lot of liquor for eggnog. Now, this Christmas, my go-to nog is going to be a fireball eggnog. And that's what I will drink on Christmas Day. And I will drink it slowly and sparingly, not because of the alcohol content, which is actually low in fireball, but it's because I don't do well with rich and creamy foods. Um, if you'd like to make it this Christmas, given that the Canadian whiskey in fireball is only 66 proof, um, you can call me for the recipe. I'll send it to you. It's basically a quarter of a cup of raw sugar, uh, cinnamon flavored, if you wish. And that's um, for the rim, for those of you who do rimming on your cocktail glasses. Um, three ounces of store-bought prepared eggnog, but please buy the good organic stuff. It's night and day. Um, two ounces or more of the cinnamon flavored whiskey. Uh, three quarter of an ounce of amaretto liqueur. Uh, and a cinnamon stick for garnish. And you can also put some freshly grated nutmeg on it. Um, just, you know, mix it all together and then strain it in a cocktail shaker. Um, and then drink it. It's just lovely. You can make your own eggnog if you want from scratch, but why bother? The more expensive organic stuff is just perfect. And once you've had five or six throughout the holy week, you're sort of kind of sick of it because it's very rich. Did you know there were eggnog riots in 1826 at West Point, New York? Yeah, apparently the cadets somehow got out, brought whiskey in, um, and got absolutely slaughtered on whiskeyed eggnog, so much so that 19 of them um, were, were arrested and 11 of them were expelled from school. So anyway, well, I would say no matter what, eggnog, hot or cold, it's here to stay, but it's rich and it's creamy. Try not to drink it before a meal if you're going to have a heavy meal. Drink it as a dessert. But thank you for the question. I'm in the mood for an eggnog now. All right, let's take another question. But first, let me have a, a sip of my drinky poo, which is not an eggnog, but it's really a rather lovely Christmas cocktail. Mmm. Mmm. I do like that. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. All right, let's take another question. And this is from Julia, who's in Wembley, in the London area, in the UK. She says, do you know the origin of Christmas pudding? Everyone I ask has a different story. Well, Julia, same here. <laughs> but here's my version of events. Um, back in the day, a pudding did not necessarily mean something solid. You know, there are records of a pudding called fromenty, which was eaten over the holiday season. But it wasn't a solid pudding. It was more of a porridge, um, hulled wheat, boiled in either milk or meat broth. And that was a staple for, let's say, the fiscally challenged. But wealthier peeps, they had access to eggs and almonds and currants and prunes and wine and sugar and saffron and spices and orange flowery water and, of course, meat. Um, they would have mixed all of that into the pudding, which was really of a porridge consistency. And it does sound like a strange arrangement of flavors. But I've sampled recreations and they are they're more than palatable. Some of them are quite delicious. So to start, I'll say the term pudding is confusing because back then 
it was whatever ingredients you could afford to put into your pottage or your porridge. As it evolved into what we know to be Christmas pudding, well, it was called plum pudding. And then the ingredients were wrapped in a cloth and then they were boiled. But plum pudding didn't have plums in it because you should note that the term plum back in the day referred to any type of dried fruit. Now, when the Puritans, especially the separatists, banned Christmas, oh, those Puritans, uh, they banned plum pudding because they said it was too rich and decadent for God-fearing folk. Well, thank heavens that didn't last too long because even though they threw um, Cromwell and all that lot, right, they, uh, they, they got rid of the monarchy, which I don't have a problem with at all, but they couldn't think of anything better, so the monarchy came back anyway, blah, blah, blah. By 1714, George I, who loved food, decided he loved the pudding, and he became known as the Pudding King. And as we know, if royalty do something, it becomes the thing to do. Um, and then over time, it became sweeter and less savory. It did have meat in it before, just like minced meat used to actually have meat in it. But it became sweeter and less savory over time. And around about the 1830s in the domestic cookbooks, we find that Christmas pudding is called Christmas pudding and it is almost exclusively sweet and associated with a festive season. So um, I think it wasn't until the Victorian era that families started to get together to prepare Christmas pudding together. And they would do that on what they called Stir Up Sunday. What is Stir Up Sunday all about? Uh, if you go back to medieval England, late medieval England, about the 1540s or so, the Roman Catholic Church agreed that a pudding should be made on the 25th Sunday after Trinity Sunday. A Trinity Sunday usually falls sometime around early June. And the weekend before Advent begins and roughly one month before Christmas Day. So the prayer for the 25th Sunday after Trinity in the Book of Common Prayer as it was used in the 16th and 17th century, reads, Stir up, we beseech thee, O Lord, the wills of thy faithful people, that they, plenteously bringing forth the fruit of good works, may of thee be plenteously rewarded through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And talk about the manipulation and all the mispronunciation and the misinterpretation uh, and mistranslation of religion. Somehow out of that we got, let's all get together as a family and stir up a giant batch of yummy Christmas pudding. Oh, you know what? In this particular instance, I'll agree with the clergy. That is a wonderful time. So that's your history of the stir up uh, Sunday thing. Um, then, of course, you know, we're in that time where Charles Dickens was writing books about Christmas. There was the Christmas Carol. Uh, the, I think the financial divide between the classes was becoming more and more obvious. Um, and people wanted to introduce this notion that Christmas should be a time of goodwill to everyone. Uh, and a lot of that was because Christmas was rather a raucous affair back in the day. And if you were one of the poorer classes, um, you joined the festivities of the Lord of Misrule. And you had the right to go into rich people's houses and demand anything you wanted. So if you're a rich person, you wouldn't have wanted that. 
So we've got all of this changing in society going on. Um, you know, over time, anyway, back to the pudding, there were lots of rituals and superstitions that went along with the pudding and they've disappeared. You know, we used to put uh, a sixpence in back home for good luck. And if you found the sixpence and you didn't break a tooth, you were going to have good luck. Also, we used 13 ingredients in the pudding, which represented Jesus and the 12 apostles, which sounds a bit cannibalistic, really. But there you go. Um, you would also if you had single people, unmarried people uh, in the days when people actually got married, you, you'd, you'd put a button in there for a bachelor. And if a bachelor got the button, he was going to remain a bachelor for the year. And you might put a thimble in there. And if a lady found a thimble, she was going to remain unmarried for that year. And you'd put a ring in there. And if somebody found the ring, they were either going to get married or become very rich or both. So there you are. Um, I think that concludes my historical treatise on the Christmas pudding, my favorite pudding. In fact, I wrote a poem about the Christmas pudding a long time ago. And I, you've probably heard it before, but I'm going to share it again because it's my show and I can do whatever I want. So here it is, Ode to a Christmas Pudding by Annie Mad Sharman Abedician. A Christmas pudding is a noble beast, revered and welcomed at every feast. When doused with brandy and set aflame, the wildest heart is soothed and tamed. Your virtues would fill a leather-bound tome. Therefore, I welcome you, good pudding, into my home. Hoorah, hoorah. I'm very excited this year. Um, my partner makes uh, Christmas pudding from scratch every year. Um, and this year, we're also going to have mincemeat with meat made from scratch. Um, we're going to enjoy it in all its full caloric glory. And on January the 2nd, we'll start a 21-day full body cleanse. But until then, it's beginning to look a lot like pudding. <laughs> All right. More questions? Let's take another question. Um, all right. Let's do it. Ah, here's one. This is from Rashid, who lives in Melvindale, Michigan. Um, I've never heard of that town. Uh, and Rashid says, Dear Ani, do fairies celebrate Christmas? And if not, what do they celebrate? Well, Rashid, um, what a lovely question. All the fairies I know celebrate the changing of the seasons. Spring equinox, summer solstice, autumn equinox, and winter solstice. They don't really have any investment in our religious human dysfunction. Um, that said... If you have the type of elves that live in your home, their children take great pleasure in Christmas decorations. So I would leave cookies and cakes out for them and give them a few shiny toys to play with. They love that. And they do love the eggnog, by the way, but don't put any booze in it. Not for the kids. Um, if you want to give the adult elves a shot of something, they will appreciate it. Um, but put it in a separate glass. Um, and, of course, the kiddies, they love the colored string lights that we wrap around the Christmas tree and the staircases. It should be a holiday for everyone. It doesn't matter what religion you follow or philosophy or if you have none. Um, you know, we've always celebrated the changing of the seasons. 
And there's always, always an opportunity for celebration. So when we decorate our homes, we can take pleasure in knowing that we bring joy, not just to our realm of experiencing, but also to the Fae realm across all dimensions. So let the lights twinkle, Rashid, the bells jingle, and the elves will bless you with fairy dusty sprinkles. Um, it really is the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> all right, what a sweet question that was, Rashid. Cheers for that. Okay, let's take uh, let's take more questions because otherwise I might be tempted to sing. Um, this one is from Jules in uh, Bradenton, Florida, Florida. Bradenton, I hope I pronounced that right. Bradenton, Florida, who asks, dear mad shaman person, <laughs> at what point in our history will we blend all religions into one cosmic understanding, and how will that change our world? Mmm. Okay, Jules, that requires a sip of my excellent cocktail. Hold on there. Mmm. This is really growing on me. Okay. Jules, I cannot say at what point in our evolution this will come. And I'm not sure it will happen in quite the way we imagine it. I mean, we're not going to wake up one morning and go, oh, well, we are all so evolved now, so we don't need religion. Um, or we're not going to wake up one day and just go, oh, let's just pick one. I mean, that's not going to happen. As we evolve, assuming we expose the filth and corruption of deep state and embrace the golden light of cosmic unity, um, before we see a gradual coming together of all religions, we will see a genuine desire to remove from our native teachings the obvious purposeful misinterpretations and control mechanisms in our scriptures. That has to happen. And once that does happen, we will move on to recognizing the similarities between all religions and concentrating on the essence of divine alignment. There is no reason why we would need to do away with any or all of the religions, not really and certainly not initially. I believe we will find ourselves worshipping together more and more and experiencing great joy from that. You know, such a relief to be in the same room worshipping the same God after years of religion being used as a manipulation tool by the dark establishment. And I believe we will derive great strength from that. And the divine will pour its pure Holy Spirit into that energy stream. And one day, I know not when, and it won't matter anymore. And the rights of religion will be a cultural preference, not some one homogenized ideology. But we are a long way from the level of alignment that would require us all to have absolutely no contrast. I mean, we will have less contrast as time goes by. <clears throat> but I like the contrast. I like the different colors. I like the different flavors. I believe that unity through diversity is the greatest teacher for us. I grew up in a mixed tribe. Armenian Orthodox Christians and ancient animist beliefs, Greek Orthodox Christians, Turkish Muslims, 
Um, and I attended a Church of England boarding school um, and studied comparative religion. And I, I firmly believe I'm a better person for all of that. I enjoy grazing the religious buffet tables. I take prayers from all religions, all denominations. But I, I personally see no value in adhering to one path. I mean, once you get the bigger picture... In a vast and ever-evolving cosmos, well, that makes no sense to me. You know, the memories and the coding in my cells, they tingle when they recognize pure prayer. Prayer that connects you simply to the divine and does not seek to control and to manipulate. I mean, I love the prayer of St. Francis. It's one of my favorite prayers. I also love the Al-Fatiha the opening of the Quran, they both resonate with me and I pray them together often. I mean, the words are beautiful. In the name of God, the infinitely compassionate and merciful, praise be to God, Lord of all the worlds, the compassionate, the merciful, ruler on the day of reckoning, you alone do we worship and you alone do we ask for help. Guide us on the straight path the path of those who have received your grace, not the path of those who have brought down wrath, nor of those who wander astray. Amen. And I follow it always with, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is wrong, let me bring forth the spirit of forgiveness. Where there is discord, let me bring harmony. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, I shall bring faith. Where there is despair, I will bring hope. Where there are shadows, let me illuminate. Where there is sadness, Lord, let me bring joy. Divine Creator, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by giving that we receive. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. So I'm neither Muslim nor Christian or anything else for that matter. I am a manifestation, as are you, of cosmic light. I'm trained in the ways of a bygone era. And I refuse to set limits to my personal growth. I was asked just this morning um, how I would respond to people who tell me that the Bible, or any scripture for that matter, is inerrant and that no argument would shift their opinion. Well, my response is this. Why would I waste a conversation on a closed mind? I would simply wish them well in what I perceive as their delusion, and I would move on. Thank you for that question. And a very Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and whatever else you celebrate. Avalanches of abundance to you too, matey. All right, let's take one more question. I think this will probably be, um, I just don't believe how quickly time travels these days. We are definitely in the quickening. This is from, oop, oops, Arnie. This is from Omit Personal Details, who says, this holiday season is going to be a huge challenge. 
Our family relationships have been strained to breaking point. In the past, as our family is scattered all over America, we have taken turns hosting Christmas week. This year, mainly due to polarized views on current events, we decided to rent a small retreat center and be together while having separate accommodations. My husband and I are dreading it, but at least we reached a compromise and amazing but true, we do still want to see each other and celebrate the holidays together. But I am dreading the conversations about you know what. We are split between the awake, the asleep, and the I couldn't care less. Well, my darling Omit, you are certainly not alone in this. The whole world is feeling the strain. And the fact that you still want to be together for the Holy Week, well, that bodes well. Unless you decide not to mention current events, which is, I think, near impossible, since it affects every aspect of our lives, I suggest sticking to the core issues. It makes it easier to listen to another's point of view when you yourself, you've clearly defined your core moral principles, values, and are able to explain clearly, succinctly, how you came to your conclusions. If people believe every word they hear on the mainstream news propaganda broadcasts, if they truly cannot see beyond that, there is no point in having a discussion, and you should not hesitate in courteously articulating that. I've had many conversations start with, it was on all the news channels, all of them, and all the papers, so why wouldn't I believe it? And I mean, you, these days I just shake my head and go, wow. Um, but it's best not to engage with that, especially over a family Christmas reunion. Because then you have to go down a rabbit hole, and it's a rabbit hole they don't even know exists. And if you do that after a couple of brandied eggnogs, well, it really can all go south, and we don't want that at this time of year. So my suggestion is to pray. Pray for your family to overcome their fear-based thinking. Instead of praying for their awakening, go to the primary core of the matter, which is fear. Pray for the entire planet while you're at it. But the combination of spiritual alignment with rational mind equals awareness and common sense. Common sense dictates that something clearly is fishy about current events. You don't need, um, she's written a lot more in this email that I'm not going to read. Um, you don't need to mention reptilians or deep state. Stay away from that. Direct knowing of our divine nature overrides fear, and without fear, we have common sense. We have objectivity. Because truly, I mean, fear is the mind killer. So instead of dreading what should be and hopefully will be the most wonderful time of the year, um, which is exactly what the dark establishment want for us, let us pray instead to dissolve our fear-based thinking and align with divine intelligence, respect each other, stay away from subjects that um, you know you're not going to find any common ground on right now. So omit, be at peace, get out the nog, 
God is great, and so are we. If your family are flying in from all over the states to be together, you've already won. So good on you. Well done. Okay, darlings, what shall we do now? I know what. Let's do a few little weird and wacky tidbits. Christmas habits all over the world. Let's see. Let's see what we've got. Um, and I have tried to pick out the most horrific and disgusting ones for you. <laughs> Why not? All right. Let's see. Christmas tidbit number one in Greenland, which apparently is not very green. Um, there's a special Christmas delicacy that is called Kiviak. And um, you have to understand, Iceland is barely habitable uh, and fresh vegetables don't really grow there. So when I read this to you, try not to throw up. Um, but this has sustained many a Greenlander. So what you do is you get the body of a seal and you stuff the carcass with about 400 orcs. And the orcs are very small, very cute little birds. And then you leave it out for up to 18 months. But you want to make sure that before you do that, you squeeze all the air out of the seal and that the body is coated with seal grease, which prevents the whole thing from rotting. And once you've done that, you can be sure that inside the dead seal's carcass, the 400 orcs are fermenting. So around Christmas time, when the stomach is opened, the fermented orcs can be eaten raw. And that, I'm sure, is a lovely surprise. And you should be sure to leave a plate of fermented orc for Santa when he comes down your chimney. You know, every time I read that, and I make a lot of fermented food, but not fermented meat food. Every time I read that, I feel a little bit nauseated. Mm. Okay, moving on. Scandinavia. Um, so, instead of Santa Claus, children wait for the Yule Tomti. And Yule Tomti is a jovial man who delivers gifts to children's homes. And you have to leave out a bowl of porridge with butter as a gift for the Yule Tomti. Because, um, you know, if you don't, he and the little sprites that serve him, the Nissa, they look like little old men, but they're the size of a small child. They normally protect your home and you leave out porridge for them year round. But over Christmas, if you forget to leave porridge for them, especially if you forget to leave porridge out for your Tomty, um, the Tomty will go into your barn and kill one of your cows, which I think is really very mean spirited. Um, and if you don't have a cow, I wonder if you'll find something else to kill. Ugh, that's just sad. All right. Um, I made a little note here. I just wanted to share with you. Um, I've always thought I hate malls. I hate malls. I just hate them. Probably because I worked in one, but I just hate them. Um, all this Santa, the Christmas Santas, and the children sitting on Santa's lap, and I just find all that really weird. Anyway, I've just got that off my chest now. Let's go to Iceland, because we're going to stick with the cold weather theme here, clearly. Children in Iceland, they don't just wait for Santa. They wait for the 13 mischievous trolls called the Yule Lads. And they all have strange little names like 
gimpy and pot scraper, bowl liquor, meat hood and smelly bum. Um, and although today it is said that they only leave gifts for good children, back in the day they actually came and stole food, slammed doors, acted a bit like noisy ghosts and terrorized Icelandic homes. Um, and they kidnapped children to take home to their terrifying mother, Grilla. And this woman is a half-ogre, hoofed, half-troll. And she's covered in warts, and she has large, terrifying horns. So she gets her kids out to snatch the bad boys and girls from their homes at Christmas so she can cook them and eat them. So this story apparently was so terrifying to Icelandic children that the government eventually had to ban the use of the story of Grilla and the, and the Yule Lads as an intimidation tactic to make children behave. Personally, I think that if you do that, you raise snowflakes, and that's a clear, clear overreach of government. But anyway, um, but that's not all with this family, because they also had a cat. And the Yule cat sounds like a friendly enough thing, who doesn't like a little pussycat? But this monstrous cat devoured anyone who didn't receive an article of clothing for Christmas. How bizarre is that? Is it because Iceland's a very cold country and they, they encourage people to give each other socks? I have no idea. But kidnapping trolls, cannibalistic wart woman, and the evil cat that devours i mean this is bad news um remind me not to go to iceland um you know around christmas time anyway did you know that the first artificial christmas trees about 1865 they were made of goose feathers goose feathers dyed green i suppose there was a surplus of goose feathers that's really all i can think of for that hmm. Well, there's your Christmas tidbits, my darling. Um, let's see. Do we have time for a quick tarot pick? I don't think that we can do tarot a go-go, but... <laughs> let's do a three-card pick for the snapshot of potential for America. I am shuffling now. Shuffling, shuffling, shuffling. I've picked the High Priestess. I've picked the Ten of Cups. I've picked the, uh, sorry, the Ten of Pentacles, High Priestess, Ten of Pentacles, Eight of Cups, and my bonus card is the Nine of Cups. So I'm just going to take a little quick look at this. This is just to see how we're doing in our collective consciousness. Are we awakening? And this is just for America. Um, the rest of the world seems to be getting it. They've started kicking back, literally kicking back at the police officers who are supporting um, the state-sanctioned thuggery and fascism in Austria, um, Germany, um, and all over Europe. So I'm very happy to see that. Um, so the high priestess always gives you a feeling of the future is up in the air. It's unrevealed. But really what it means here is that this is a spiritual war. And we know that we are God, Lucifer, light, dark, freedom, tyranny. I pick up the Ten of Pentacles and all of these just came up in the upright position. The Ten of Pentacles is your established wealth. 
Uh, and in this case, I'm going to take it uh, to mean that we are having a devil of a time, um, quite literally a devil of a time, separating the Illuminati from their power base. But being that it's in the upright position, I feel very positive that that is indeed something that is in process. Now I'm going to pick up the third card in this snapshot of potential, which is the Eight of Cups. And I get very goosebumpy now. I'm feeling very goosebumpy because I have a feeling that what this means is we are reaching that critical mass. Um, we've lined up all our cups and we've seen that those are not the cups we need and we're turning our back to those cups and we're walking away. And the bonus cup of the nine of cups, which is wonderful, it's like the best card you can get really in terms of accomplishment, um, makes me understand, yes, I feel it. We're going to win the war. I've, I'll be lying if I said I never had any doubts, but we are going to win this war. I don't think we're going to win it anytime soon, but I think the decisive battle is coming up quicker, sooner than we thought. That's what I take from that little reading. And that's it. That is it for the card reading today. We'll go back to our usual curriculum um, on our next show. And my darlings, oh my gosh, we're coming up almost to the end. Um, I always finish my drink and it means the end of the show. I am now finishing my drink. Hold on. Yummomatic. That was wonderful. Today's real life cocktail was a beautiful bright red Christmas martini. And here's how you make it. You take one ounce or more of vodka. I'm using Belvedere Polish rye. One ounce or more of unsweetened cranberry juice. Half an ounce or more of Cointreau. Half an ounce of pure lemon juice. And two teaspoons of maple syrup. Don't use simple syrup. Go out, buy the maple syrup. It's delicious. Place the vodka, the cranberry juice, the Cointreau, the lemon juice, and the Maple syrup in a cocktail shaker with ice. Shaky, shaky, 20 seconds. Strain into a cocktail glass. Garnish with cranberries and rosemary or a peppermint candy cane and knock yourself out because it's absolutely delicious. Now, remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. Let me repeat that. One drink is all you need. And now that I've been responsible and made my public service announcement, as soon as the show's over, I'm probably going to make myself another one. I'm Ani Mad Shaman Avidician. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. A very blessed Holy Week to you all. May the divine shower you endlessly with avalanches of abundance and all manner of heartfelt joy. Until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini with Ani Alpatisian, The Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. 